you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. Uh, we're continuing our study in the series Twisted, Commonly Misused Verses. And we've looked at some verses that are completely taken out of context and mean completely the opposite of what we teach. We've looked at some verses that teach the right thing, but in the wrong place. We looked at some verses that, that don't even mean anywhere close to what we want them to believe. And this morning, we're going to look at yet another verse that, that has a clear commandment. And I'll go ahead and share with you this morning, it is a clear commandment. We, we have not twisted or do not need to manipulate what the verse says. Instead, what I have found is that we have taken this verse and applied it far beyond its intended reach. So we're going to be reading Philippians 4, 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there in a study uh, entitled, Do Not Be Anxious. Do Not Worry. Let's begin just by looking at this verse, seeing what it says plainly before us, acknowledging a few truths, and then transitioning into how this verse is often twisted and manipulated. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So right out of the gate, those first four words, do not be anxious. Anybody in here need to come down to the altar and confess their sin this morning, reading those first four words? Anybody read those first four words and go, wait a second, back up, because this morning I've already failed. Maybe just as you were singing songs, your mind was running through all the different anxious thoughts and circumstances of life. And I want to be clear. All right, what, what we don't want to do is put what we want to hear into the Scripture. I want to be very clear. Paul specifically writes this verse, Do not be anxious. And then he makes sure that, that it's overarching about anything. Right? Do not be anxious about anything. I want to be very clear that this verse means what it says. So as we unpack how we twist this verse, let's not twist it in trying to get it straight. The verse clearly says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't do it. You and I struggle with this because we live in an anxious society where it's, it's almost weird if you're not worried about something. People look at you strange if you're not easily offended. Right? How come you're not more upset about this? How come you, you don't get fired up about that? Doesn't it bother you? We live in a, a society, and quite honestly, we run our lives in a way that there's so much chaos and busyness. How can you not be worried? How can you keep from being anxious? And so let's be very clear. Scripture wants us to know there is no room for anxiety in the Christian life. Can we be clear about that? Do not worry about anything. In the power of Jesus Christ, his goal and his desire is that you have no fears. But we live in a fallen world, and we experience some very difficult circumstances which cause us anxiousness, cause us to worry, strikes fear in our lives. And so we ask ourselves the question, is worry a sin? The, the verse commands, do not be anxious about anything. Is worry a sin? I had a good debate with some college friends of mine when I was in college about this very question, about this very verse. Is it a sin to be worried? Right? They, they would quote uh, this particular passage, 
Philippians 4, 6. They would quote Matthew chapter 6, which tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Uh, they would quote uh, the passage I read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 5, right? Uh, Cast all your cares on him. Uh, they, they would quote these passages and say, clearly scripture teaches, if you're worried, you are sinning. And again, just like I have all throughout this series, I'm going to play my hand very early on. As I read all of Scripture, I can't find where that's true. Now, there are commands, and we want to be clear that the Christian life lived out in perfect relationship with God leads us to not have anxiety and worries, but, but we also have to acknowledge the fallen world in which we live. You know, for some of us, for many of us, worry and anxiety is very circumstantial and it happens from time to time because of different things. For instance, if you happen to be at home and your house catches on fire, you should be worried about getting everybody out safely, right? That, that is a positive act. And, and maybe you're not normally a, an anxious person, but in an emergency situation, your worry genes kick in and it causes you to act and move people to safety. But there are some people who have anxiety and worry that goes beyond the circumstances. It's, it's really embedded in how their personality, how their brain functions, and, and how they carry out their lives. And in that case, a lot of times people will look at me and say, I don't want to be worried. I don't want to stress about this. But I can't help it. It's there. Is that worry a sin? Do not be anxious about anything. Scripture says. But we're going to look at, at what that verse is specifically meaning about worry and anxiety in just a moment. But, but I, I want to start off by, by asking you this question. <clears throat> Does God get rid of all negative circumstances of sin when you become a Christian? Yes or no? No, right? God does not automatically make everything in life great because you are a believer in Jesus Christ while you're here on this earth. I came across a website years ago. It was a website uh, that a bunch of atheists put together. I don't even know if it's still active. But the main premise of the website asked the question, why doesn't God heal amputees? And it really kind of struck me. That's an interesting question. Now, you hear of, of God healing people of cancer. You hear of God healing people of, of even physical ailments. You see, you see injuries that are recoverable, but... I have yet to see in the news that someone has grown an arm back. I've just not seen it. I've yet to see where, where someone in the news has reported, I, I had lost my leg from the knee down, and what do you know, I woke up the next morning and it was there again. And so it's an interesting question, right? The answer is twofold, by the way. This is a, a mini-sermon inside of a bigger sermon. The answer one is, yes, God can and has healed amputees. He has. I've got a specific example. Before we give the example, do you believe all of Scripture is the absolute true Word of God? Yes or no? Yes. Well, then you have to remember when Peter, in, in the Gospels, is trying to guard Jesus from being arrested, chops a dude's ear off, right? And Jesus goes, picks up the ear that has been amputated, and heals the guard. Does God heal amputees? Yes, He has. And yes, He can. Have we seen it with our own eyes in our lifetime? I have not. It's a reminder to me that God leaves the consequences of sin still present for us to see. There are things in life that we don't like and we're not comfortable with and wish God would intervene in. But the consequences of that sin is there to remind us our need for Him. 
Just like there are some physical ailments that God has chosen not to heal, there are some mental ailments that God has chosen not to heal, right? We never look at an amputee and say, why don't you have more faith? If you trust more in God, your limb would grow. We don't say that. Why do we look at someone then and say, if you had more faith in God and trust in Jesus a little bit more, you wouldn't worry as if their mental ailment is different from a physical ailment. God has left us the consequences of sin, and we have to deal with them. Living in a fallen world, we see it all around us. However, it's not an excuse to give ourselves over to those consequences. It is perfectly fitting for someone with a physical ailment to pray, heal me. And it's perfectly appropriate and should be the practice of someone who mentally struggles with depression and anxiety to pray, Lord, rid me of this. There's many debate on what what Paul's thorn in his flesh was. And so there's probably a hundred theories out there of what Paul's struggle when he prayed, will you take this thorn away from me? There are some who will say he dealt with depression and anxiety and he prayed, Lord, would you rid me of that? Is that true or not? We don't know, but here's what we do glean from that. It's okay and should be prayed for, Lord, take my anxiety away. Heal me of it because I know that you can. Is it a worry to sin? We're going to maybe answer that question in our first bit of notes in your bulletin. I want to look at the victims of worry. People in Scripture who we see struggled with worry and anxiety. I've got three individuals, but really we could go through probably a hundred individuals in Scripture and find passages of examples of worry and strife. And we're going to ask... Are they sinful in their worry? The first person, and maybe the most obvious place to turn, is the book of Psalms and the person of David. You can't get very far into Psalms without reading about David's stress and anxiety and worry. There was certainly a lot going on in David's life. We read verses like Psalm 69, 29. I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. Why does Paul write verses like this? Well, for starters, there are some times that, that Paul, or, or I'm sorry, David is writing these verses because he's running for his life from a, a, a maniacal king who's seeking to kill him. King Saul desired David be put to death, and much of David's young life he spends running and in fear. And so we read things like, I'm afflicted, I'm persecuted, I'm in hiding. Uh, later on in life, we see David is anxious and worried about his own sin particularly the sin he committed with Bathsheba in in having an affair and murdering her husband. And we see him in this anxious uh, struggle with, Lord, woe is me, I'm this horrible person, I need your forgiveness, and I just, I can't rest at night, my bones hurt, I'm in so much uh, anxiety over my sin. There are other places later on in David's life that the effects of sin have affected his family, where he's got one son who has raped a daughter and another son who's trying to kill him. And meanwhile, all the sons are trying to overthrow his kingdom. And and David is writing, what is to become of all this? Woe is me. David is a prime example for someone I believe struggled with chronic, ongoing anxiety. And the truth is, some of it was self-inflicted, and some of it was God allowing stress in David's life. 
David was a victim of anxiety and worry, and he wrote deeply about it in the book of Psalms. Another individual we see had strife and worry is is Daniel. As a matter of fact, if if you read in Daniel chapter 8, we read about Daniel having a vision a vision of the future, of what is going to take place. And this vision causes him so much stress, he shuts down for days. Look with me in Daniel chapter 8. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. A couple of sermon inside of a sermon type things that we have for you this morning. One is... But we see that Daniel was laid sick for days. This wasn't a momentary worry, and I trust God, and I'm over it. He was struck with worry. But, but listen about what he did in the midst of his worry. While he was overcome and sick for days, he rose and went about the king's business. This is a great example, by the way, of someone who is struck with anxiety and doesn't let that affect his relationship with God, doesn't let it affect his work, right? Daniel's sitting there going... I was so, so burdened that for days I could not shake it. Felt sick and laid up, and yet I had a job to do. Makes us have sympathy for those who struggle with chronic anxiety. There's still life to be done. There's still work to be had. We read just a a chapter earlier. Daniel is explaining, and look at the words he uses. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel had seen so much. He was worried and stressed, sick for days. He was up at night. He couldn't sleep, and he was in turmoil. You know, it's interesting that that Daniel was not a perfect individual. As a matter of fact, everyone in all of human history has sinned except for Jesus Christ. So we know Daniel had sin in his life, but it's interesting that, that we don't read about Daniel's sin anywhere. We don't read about his failings. We only read about his positive faithfulness. So nowhere in the book of Daniel is written, and Daniel struggled with sin this way. It's always him overcoming. It's always a a picture to us of how we should live. And if nowhere else is written of Daniel's sin, are we to assume that this is the one place where Daniel sins and his anxiety? I'm going to argue no. And argue any of us who would have seen the visions that Daniel saw would be anxious. And so we see David with anxiety. We see Daniel with worry. And our, our third example puts, puts the nail in the coffin on this question, I think. We see Jesus struggle with worry. We, we see him weeping over the loss of a friend. We see him emotional throughout the Gospels. And then we come to a, a point in time near the end of his life on earth when he is so anxious about the cross. He goes with the disciples to a garden, and while he's alone, praying, well, look at how his anxiety affected him in Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's actually a term for this where people sweat blood. It happens from time to time. It's a a physical ailment that can come on and is always brought on by a great amount of stress and anxiety. Every time it's this, this overwhelming sense of there's too much on my plate. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was worried about the cross. Again, another example of 
I'm not going to let my anxiety stop me from doing what God has called me to do. But certainly an example of that emotion and that overwhelming fear and anxiousness that, yes, the perfect Jesus Christ had. So we ask ourselves the question again, is anxiety a sin? I don't think it can be, right? If Jesus lived a perfect life and had worry, how can worry then in and of itself be a sin? And the answer is it's not. The truth is, when we think about the victims of worry, it affects everybody at all time, at all places. We understand because we worry ourselves. We have fears and anxieties, some of us to a greater extent, others of us circumstantial, but we get it. Life is hard and there is anxiety. Is it a sin to worry? I think, no, I'm sure the answer is not in all circumstances. However, I do think it's important to realize that that passage of Scripture teaches clearly, do not be anxious. What are we to make of that command? It is a command, after all. And to disobey a command certainly is sin. How do we rectify these two thoughts? I think it's important, as we always do, that we look at the context of the worry that is mentioned. By the way, not just here in Philippians, but, but in Matthew chapter 6 as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5 that we read earlier, in these passages about worry, what is the context? We know the verse, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Now that does not mean, do not be anxious to bring people to safety. Paul talks about how he was in torment over his fellow Jews, He was so burdened and wished that he could die on their behalf that they would come to know Christ. Paul understands worry and anxiety in the proper context, but there are some contexts where we need to let go and understand it's a sin to continue on in our worry. Where is Paul writing from? In chapter 1, verse 12, he kind of gives us a clue. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it makes us ask, what's happened to Paul? He's writing this letter, what's going on with Paul, that he he had something happen. As you study the whole of Scripture, you can read through the book of Acts, you can read different letters, and you you can study and find out that in this place and time, Paul is writing from a jail cell in Rome. He's been arrested, and although his desire is to be with the Philippian church, he is under house arrest, literally chained to a Roman guard. He has been beaten and flogged. He has been brought near the point of death several times. He's been shipwrecked and abandoned. He's been been lost of all hope. And now he sits in this jail cell and writes, do not be anxious about anything. All of Paul's circumstances, all the world has thrown on him. He could have very easily thrown his hands up and said, you know what? I can't handle it anymore. God, I'm checking out. I think it's enough for most of us to check out, isn't it? Being flogged multiple times, being shipwrecked and going hungry, sitting in a a smelly jail cell, literally with no privacy, chained to a guard. I think that's enough for us to go, okay, God, I get it. You don't want me serving you anymore. I'm checking out. That's not what Paul says. As a matter of fact, if you read on in chapter 4, Paul Paul tells us, "I, I know how to be brought low. Well, certainly he does. And I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And we'll get to that secret before the end of the service. Paul acknowledges, my circumstances have changed throughout my life. I've been high and I've been low, but none of them, none of them dictate my call. This context of do not be anxious really is telling us, don't let your circumstances keep you from being who God's called you to be. Don't put your faith and trust in the anxiety. Put your faith and trust in God. Don't put all of your attention on what you're missing out on or what you're struggling with or how difficult it is. Understand that in your worry, God has a plan. Jesus says this exact same thing in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, when he highlights the type of worry that is sin. The the seed is thrown out in this parable, and there are some seeds that that fall in a soil with thorns. And in Matthew 13, 22, he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the anxiety that is sin. I'm more worried about the world. I'm more worried about my circumstances. I'm more worried about the fears around me than I am in my obedience to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you, that anxiety is sin. When we put more trust in what's around us than who's above us. No, this context of worry is not don't have fears or anxieties. It is don't put your faith and trust in those fears and anxieties. There is a a great promise in Philippians chapter 4 and really all throughout these passages of worry that talk about a healing. There is a healing for worry. There is a way to get past your anxiety and your fear. And that healing is the same way that many people are healed here on earth, not physically with a healing while they're in this flesh, but an ultimate healing in eternity with Christ. There is a promise that there will come a day when you will have no anxiety and no fear and no worry. And our growth, our Christian sanctification, brings us closer to that every single day. There's a promise in in. Philippians 4 that we're going to look at here in a minute, but there's also a promise that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 6. He gives a similar command when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says you're so worried with your circumstances, you forget that life is so much more than your circumstances. There's something beyond your clothes and your food. And that's why he tells us in verse 33, You want to cure your anxiety above the world? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And here's the promise. All these things will be added to you. Everything you fear you're missing, everything you're doing without, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and know that He will take care of you. We read in Philippians 4.12 that Paul knows how to, to abound in every circumstance. And then he says, I have the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And then he gives another famous verse in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. 
Notice Paul does not write, I can do all things through Christ who removes my anxiety. I can do all things in Christ who keeps me from burden. I can do all things through Christ who pulls me out of the fire. No. I can endure the anxiety and the worry and the stress of life because Christ gives me strength. There is both conviction and encouragement in this morning's message. The conviction is God does not want you to worry and be anxious. And if you've given yourself over to anxiety, you've fallen into sin. Fight it, not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ. The promise is that there is healing to be had in worry and strife. Those circumstances that you're unsure how they will turn out, God cares about those, and He knows what's best. Will He pull you out of the fire? Not necessarily. But will He give you what you need to endure to the end? He most certainly will. Do not be anxious is a clear command. Do not be anxious. Let's not twist it in such a way that says, do not ever worry. Don't beat ourselves up because we have anxiety or fear. Instead, know that God wants to strengthen us in that anxiety, in that fear. Know that a relationship with Jesus Christ does not eliminate your problems here on earth, but it gives you a promise that all of your anxieties, all of your worry, all of your strife will be overcome ultimately in Him. Let's pray together. Father, I I ask forgiveness because there are times I let the worry of this world overtake me. Lord, my anxiety and my stress becomes all-consuming in such a way that I don't have trust in you. I only have trust in what's around me. Lord, I confess my sin of anxiousness. And Lord, I, I hear your words in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Lord, I'm convicted because I know I am. Lord, at the same time, Lord, I thank you and am encouraged that while I have stress and anxiety and worry, it does not have to overtake me. That you have given me the promise that if I would seek your kingdom and your righteousness, you would give me the strength to overcome everything that you've thrown my way. Lord, you'll grow me. Lord, you'll bring me ultimately to a place in eternity that has no strife and no worry. Lord, I cling to your cross this morning and ask that you would forgive my sin of disbelief. Lord, give me the strength in this world to continue, even in the midst of strife and worry. It's in your name we pray. Amen.